0: This episode is brought to you by our Patreon page over at patreoncom slash media. which means this episode is brought to us by you, right? That's how not, it works. no, not me. No, no, the fan. Right? Yeah, the, yes. the listener. We're talking. When I say you, I mean the listeners. Yes, the the figurative you. Right. right. Yes.
1: but nobody else is in
0: here with us as we record this. Who are I'm you lo- talking I, about? I'm looking at the computer when I say it. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Alright, so just go to GameZilla Media on Patreon.com. There you'll be able to choose your patronage level and get different access to the shows. So you can get exclusive content for *The Legend of Retro* and *Noobs and Dragons*. Noobs and Dragons—the show with that handsome devil, correct? WK? Well, almost all of those words are right. Yeah. And if you go on there and sign up, you can also get access to a private Discord channel in our Discord group. Basically, the more dollars you give us, the more things we can give you. Exactly. So go to patreoncom media and become a patron today. Do it. Yeah. Prepare yourselves for a journey through history.
1: Get equipped for adventure.
0: Grab your power gloves and super scopes for
2: it's dangerous to go alone.
0: This is the Legend of Retro.
2: Welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Legend of Retro. I am The Glitch and with me is
1: Privy Glitch. How do thou now do? <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? Privy Glitch. This be thine Craig W.K. Okay, uh,
2: I'm sorry, who are you?
1: <laughs> Why, I'm Lord of Tantagil Castle, or the other name in Japan, I don't remember which, whatever. <laughs>
2: Alright, well welcome, I uh, wasn't expecting you, I was expecting actually Craig, but uh, you must have stepped out for a minute. Um, uh, so, what brings you here?
1: Well, you see, when this game was brought over to America, as Craig W.K. has been brought to America, the accents were changed and all the names became ye old English.
2: Are you speaking of uh, (laughs) Dragon Quest? Why, indeed I am, Glitch. Oh, there's Craig.
1: (laughs) Today we're talking about Dragon Quest, otherwise known as Dragon Warrior, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, now, this was released in August of 1989 for the Nintendo. Uh, Enix made the very first JRPG, where you take the role of a nameless hero and must vanquish darkness from a world of light by defeating the Dragon Lord.
2: Yep. Uh, originally released, as we said, in Japan on May 27, 1986. Huge uh, difference, and there was there was a lot of differences. So, oh, I, I mean, other than the name, so I, I think we've mentioned before. Because this is actually our third Dragon Quest episode. Oh, wow, it is. You're and right, because we did eight and seven, I meant and then one. Yep. I meant to look what? back and see if there's any other game we've done three of a series, because we've done two Sonics, I believe, right? I. Uh, oh, do you know what? We've done Sonic CD. So I think Sonic might have it. Yeah, I think might Sonic might first. be the winner. Funny that Mario isn't the winner. Yeah, we've done Mario World, Mario RPG. Mario 2. Oh, we have done Mario 2. That's right. Oh, maybe Mario and Sonic are uh, in a, a race there. Yep, and then we've only done 2 Zelda's. I know we have done Awakenings and uh the original.
1: I uh, and if this was, you know, anything like Mario and Sonic at the Olympics, it'd be a close race. If it's actually like their game should be Sonic will absolutely win.
2: Uh and just everyone loses because those games are terrible.
1: <laughs> but you're talking about Mario and Sonic at the Olympics, yes. right? Not Mario and oh, Sonic no, no, games. yeah. Oh, the, okay, good. the Olympic games are horrendous. I, I, well, they are. I, I thought for a second you were about to like reveal some dark secret <laughs> that you like, you're doing this like Legend of Retro show, but you hate Mario and Sonic games. I was gonna be
2: like, really? Like so both? I, uh, I don't like retro games. What, what are you doing here? I hate them. So Why much. have you been doing him so this much. show? Uh, but so, yes, as we've mentioned before a Dragon Warrior, uh, it was Dragon Quest in Japan came yeah. over. There was licensing issue with a, uh, strategy pen and paper game that was already called Dragon Quest. Yeah, funny enough, it was owned by TSR,
1: which eventually would be bought out by Wizards of the Coast, the company that actually owns Dungeons & Dragons today. Uh, But TSR was a company that was set up by Gary Gygax, uh, and Gary Gygax and David Arneson are the ones who made D&D. And it's funny because it's kind of a weird full circle thing because those, the Dungeons & Dragons pen and paper RPGs, inspired the games that inspired funny how that works out dragon quest really yeah so let's chat about that for a second this is a little bit of a history lesson so uh and and we'll get into the differences as we you know go yeah. through and everything so i uh, Yuji hori was inspired by ultima and wizardry when he made dragon quest and yep. those games were made in the west and they were inspired by dungeons and dragons i uh, and it's it's just really interesting that like it became the JRPG, the Dragon Quest formula, but really it was just them emulating and making more accessible the RPG of the West at that time, which is funny because the JRPG is not considered very accessible by today's standards. Hmm. Yep. Uh, so, uh, kind of a funny story. Yuji Hori, who is, like, really big in Japan, like, you know, he's, because he's the guy who does, like, every Dragon Quest game, and Dragon Quest is huge in Japan, uh... He wanted to appeal to a wider audience uh, and focus more on emotional storytelling, uh, and that's why you have, uh, not necessarily in Dragon Quest 1 as much, but as the Dragon Quest series progresses, they start getting way more emotional, way more sad. There's a lot more depressing elements to these games compared to most other RPG series out there.
2: Yeah. I also read that he said he wanted like an interface that was a lot more simplified, because I guess... Mm-hmm. A lot of those games like Ultima and Wizardry, it was a very complicated oh, yeah. selection-based process. It was a game for techies.
1: It was a game for people with PCs, and they were very, very technical. And I mean, you know, th- th- like that's fun in its own way, but like Yuji Horii wanted to make a game that was, appealed to everybody. Yeah. And that's why they went to the console for this. And uh, as far as that goes, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, Yuji Horii was hired via a contest advertised in a manga the manga being uh well actually i think it was advertised in a uh, multiple manga but one of those manga would be shonen jump which is the the one of the most popular manga magazines out there uh that had uh, uh you know a lot of the popular hits of all of all time you know even today it's it's one of the more popular and uh, as far as that goes i uh, there's just it's it's a really weird complicated net of things involved and especially with this shonen jump uh, manga and if you're not familiar uh glitch and maybe some of our listeners aren't when i say like it's a, a um, like a manga Book. Basically, what it is is like a whole it publishes a whole bunch of manga out there, just one chapter of each, and it's like a big thick book they release like every week. Okay. I uh, so it's almost like the funny pages once a week, but like way more work goes into it. Nice. I uh, now I as far as that goes, uh Enix itself was formed and did not have any programmers. The president of the company went from like real estate and switched over to software and and realized, oh, wait, I don't know anything about software and computers. And I don't have anybody to do this stuff. So he like put these contests out there to try to get people to work <laughs> for him. Apparently, this guy who owned Enix was a real business genius. And uh, uh, honestly, in Japan, Enix did really well for themselves before they even joined up with Square. Because today they're known as Square Enix. The, back then, Square and Enix yeah. were rivals. Uh, but uh, as far as that goes, uh, Yuji Horii... Uh, had previously been a freelance writer for Shonen Jump and uh in the sense why he saw this contest and decided to like put himself out there. Uh and even uh, uh Dragon Quest themselves uh, uh Dragon Quest itself I should say Enix didn't necessarily make that game. They hired an outside Developer known as Chunsoft. Yeah, it was Chunsoft, and that's what Enix did. Is they just sort of licensed out these games to other companies, or licensed out the the property to like other companies to make.
2: I uh, and actually, it was Koichi Nakamura who is the president founder oh, of, of Enix Chunsoft. Who, oh, Chunsoft. Who um who was the one that was inspired by Wizardry? Because, I uh y- um Yuji Hori says you know um. Mm-hmm. That Altima was the big inspiration. If you look, there's a lot of similarities. Oh, sure. Between the first Altima and how Dragon Quest ended up becoming, mm-hmm. um, but it was the programmer who was like, "Yeah, Wizardry was like a big influence on me." Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh. So. Chunsoft as you were saying.
1: Oh yeah, so so Chunsoft you know is the the company that actually made uh, Dragon Quest or whatever. But yeah, so like Yuji Horii himself has all these connections to Shonen Jump. Now, the reason why that's really interesting is that that the the connection with Shonen Jump does not end there because of uh Yuji Horii's connections to Shonen Jump, he was able to get Akira Toriyama Oh, yeah. The uh, editor for Akira Toriyama is actually the one who set it up. And Toriyama is the one who uh, joined the team at Enix to, to do the, the art for Dragon Quest. And, of course, Akira Toriyama is the guy behind Dr. Slump and Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball was just getting uh starting and getting a little uh bigger I think uh, around that time. Uh in fact he might have actually been finishing up Dr. Slump and moving to Dragon Ball around that time. So Akira Toriyama's popularity was a little high but it was about to explode. Oh yeah. And then I uh, as far as that goes like Toriyama it's it's really as far as we you know as we delve into this I do want to touch on this. It's funny because a lot of the the Dragon Quest charm comes from its art, and it's funny because if you compare, like, Western fantasy art to, like, a Toriyama's, like, Dragon Quest art, they're vastly different. Uh, it, like, if you look at, like, a slime monster from, like, Ultima or, like, the Dungeon Master Guide or something, you know, oozes and stuff.
2: Yeah, it's they, it's gruesome. It's melting, yeah,
1: essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's like this person melting, uh, or, or it's just this, like, jelly-like block that has no charm to it. Uh. He
2: basically... Took that, made a little slime drop,
1: put eyes and a smiley face on it, and it became the icon of the entire series. Oh yeah, they
2: would send him idea like so. Oh, we want this wolf character, and then uh, you know he would send something back that's just cartoonish and fun. Uh huh. And and I I saw I noticed that he because I'm not a big Dragon Ball person, but yeah. I did see in a report that he used a lot of the characters from Dragon Quest that he created into the series of Dragon Ball.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, it, when, you know, and, and, and it's completely understandable when you think of it in this aspect. But, like, you know, they they told him, hey, we want a werewolf. And he was like, okay, I can do that. And he drew a werewolf. When it came time for Dragon Ball, like, there's a lot of, like, animal people in Dragon Ball. You know, it's like a world, a fantasy world filled with, like, humans, animal people, and, like, sentient animals. You know, uh, you know, or, or, you know, yeah, sentient animals or whatever. And uh, as far as that goes, when he had a wolf-like man in the background... Yeah, it was gonna be like the say almost the same as like his werewolf dude, or if he wanted a pig person, it was gonna look like the orcs that he drew, you know, for uh, uh you know, Dragon Quest. Uh, and yeah, it's it's really interesting to like go through Dragon Ball and catch like, oh, that's totally something he's used for uh, uh, Dragon Quest. Like, oh, that's totally something yeah, he's used yeah, yeah. in Dragon
2: Quest. Uh, um, I, so mm-hmm. other than Dragon Quest, I mean Yuji Horii hasn't really done much. It's it's that's his like his primarily his. I did yeah. see that he was a supervisor on Chrono Trigger. Yeah, he was a part of the Dream Team. Yep.
1: Uh, in that game, I mean used like every wonderful you know talent from from that uh, time in like the '90s. Uh, now there is one last interesting thing to note on Shonen Jump. Their story isn't entirely over. So show uh, so Dragon Quest came out in Japan, and it just did okay like it wasn't selling that great and so yuji hori was able to work out with shonen jump because he had previously been one of their writers and akira toriyama was you know like uh had didn't art, done art for this game he was able to convince them that he wanted to write up a bunch of articles in their magazine about dragon quest and how jrpgs work the mechanics and stuff which we'll get to the mechanics in just a few moments here of course mm-hmm. but I. Uh, yeah, he did a bunch of articles. It caught uh, people's attention. They knew that Akira Toriyama was also doing the art. Dragon Ball was starting to like get
2: big. And the rest is history. Man, that hype train right there.
1: It, it absolutely is. And in, uh, and it, they kind of tried to repeat that in America. Because uh, Nintendo Power gave
2: away free copies oh my God, yeah, so, of Dragon Quest. Uh, Dragon and I, Warrior. I feel like I remember this because I want to say this is how we got our copy. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, according to
1: research I did online, I... Uh, the uh, Nintendo Power uh, subscription increased by a uh, half a million subscribers on top of everything they had before. Yeah. And those were all copies of Dragon Quest going into the hands of uh, the people. So, like, Dragon Quest 1 sales actually were really, really good in America. They weren't bad. The rest of the Dragon Quest games in America did not sell very
2: well. Well, I mean, that was heavily influenced by the fact that it was free. Oh sure yeah that's, that's Power. yeah
1: that's the thing is like and you know you got to think like a lot of people were getting the game for free and then other people were like oh you're playing this game it looks cool i want it you know so it was just in more hands at then you know in that way and like so you know it did really well for them in america but yeah they attempted a hype train in uh, america <laughs> as well not quite as successful as it was in japan but uh you know they gave it a valiant effort
2: well you think it's so i, I think it's so strange cuz it was an august release right in north america august oh, i got it right here. Uh, so it was August 1989. August, yep. yep. And so in a late 1990 issue of Nintendo Power, mm-hmm. that's when they were doing the giveaway. So think about like a game that comes out, like let's say Breath of the Wild comes out in March, uh-huh. and then what a year later it's free if you buy a subscription to a to a magazine. <laughs> yeah, like that's insane. And I guess that, I mean that's what helped push the sales. They ended up having 1.5 million in Japan, mm-hmm. and then 1.5 million as well in North America.
1: Oh, so it sold about as well yeah, in America. as well, yep. Interesting. And it's inter- especially interesting for the fact that, like, that dropped off in America. And then in Japan, it just spiked and, like, rose in popularity.
2: Uh, did you, so there were uh, more differences between Dragon Quest and Dragon Warrior other than oh, the yeah. book. Other than the name. Uh, there was a sprite difference. So originally mm-hmm. in Dragon Quest... The hero just faces the screen the entire time. Yep. Whether you walk to the yep. left
1: or right or down or up or he's whatever, just stuck
2: in that one position uh-huh. and just moves left and right, and he's just always looking at the screen. Uh-huh. So they added four, I know, three additional sprites so he could have you know different different views as yep. he's walking. Walking around. animations and stuff. Um, they added a battery pack for saving. Yep. Because originally in the Japan version, it was all done by password. <laughs> oh, that does suck. Uh, they added the uh, the Elizabethan middle Middle English style talk, which privy
1: yes, ye old we, we married
2: gentlemen. Uh, yeah, the uh, it, which kind of became a little bit of a
1: like a running gag in uh, uh, Dragon Quest games moving forward because like. Even in, like, the DS, you know, remakes of some of the old ones, uh, they added in different accents for, like, different regions of the world and stuff, which is kind of fun and interesting. And then there's another part of me that's like, well, I mean, like, did that help? Like, did people, like, really, like, you know, see the script and like, oh, man, Elizabethan, this is going to be great. Or was it just like, oh, this is hokey and lame?
2: Well, I think it kind of just more pulls you into, like, a whole genre, because, like, with knights and armor and swords it kind of like already has you in that mindset of medieval medieval yeah. time so uh, I think it just helps build that environment I, I could yeah. see that I can definitely see that um and then there was one thing that they also took out which was the puff puff which we've explained ah uh, yes it's uh, uh like a, a, a yeah sexual we don't need joke. To get into it yeah this we, 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 we already yeah. talked a little bit about it before uh, yeah, we could just leave that one be. but the character who does that in Japan uh, in the North American version she's selling tomatoes <laughs> So, weird. Yep.
1: Real uh, weird.
2: So the story of the game uh, is that there's this ancient hero named Erdrick mm-hmm. who battled the dra- uh, battled demons uh, and evil in the past and used the ball of light to defeat them. Slew a demon lord. Yep. Uh, and then he gave it to the king, and years later, the evil comes back. So there's a dragon lord who finds this dragon. Well, he wasn't mm-hmm. called the Dragon Lord at the time.
1: Uh, I I mean, I think he he, he gained control of dragons and yeah. and thus named himself as the the Dragon Lord. He
2: found out that he could tame dragons, mm-hmm. and then so he used this power to take over the world. He invaded the town, stole the Ball of Light, uh-huh. and— uh, Kidnapped the princess. Yep, kidnapped the princess and went to a town where he resides. And then evil took over the land, and they waited for Erdrick to come back, uh, which he never did. Nope. And they were told that there would be this hero, a descendant of Erdrich, mm-hmm. who would come and, uh, you know, save, pray, the world. save the world, praise the land, and uh, bring back peace. Yep. So you are this hero. Mm-hmm. You're introduced. The game starts up. And the king's like, you are this this descendant of Erdrich. You know, we need you. Here are some items to help aid your way. And go on in your adventure. And that's what how the game starts. And Yeah and you go out and you find out that there's you know little happy slime characters on this <laughs> that you must defeat even though you don't kind of want to because they're so nice and cuddly.
1: Uh,
2: so, so let's chat about the
1: mechanics of the game. So this is the very first JRPG. Yes. So a JRPG is usually defined as turn based battles, uh, gain experience. It like, you know, you level up your character. Uh, And and a lot of JRPGs, the, the mechanic of the game kind of becomes you get to a new area, the enemies are difficult, you grind your levels, collect gold you know, you know, cuz every monster dropping experience and gold and then you use that gold to buy new equipment, you then have the best equipment for that area, you're now powerful enough to defeat those enemies with ease and then you move on to the next area. Yep. And that's kind of, you know, what became the 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 mechanic of a JRPG and Yuji Horii and his, like his team over and Chunsoft and technically Enix. I mean, they made the JRPG with this
3: game.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is essentially what created the template mm-hmm. for JRPGs. Oh, yeah. Uh, and in this one, you have random encounters, which yep. which I, I guess, w- w- was that the standard at the time? I know there was a lot of like dungeon games where you, you walk up to enemies and, and fight y- them.
1: Yeah. A, a lot of uh, uh, those like older style Western like dungeon crawler games, you had like a first person view and you would walk through the dungeon. Yeah. And you would encounter an enemy. You would see it on the screen. Here, anytime you're walking over the overworld or in enemy castles or caves, there is a chance you're going to run into an enemy. And essentially what happens is a battle triggers and a screen pops up. You can see the overworld you know, map is still there. But over placed of that is like a small screen that has uh, a single enemy, at least in Dragon Quest 1, mm-hmm. a single enemy and the background. I uh, and you can't see yourself you know you, there's no battle animation but a menu pops up and it says like fight run magic attack you know whatever uh and yeah you you fight the enemy however you like you you know uh you know the the hero of Dragon Quest One kind of became a template for the heroes of other Dragon Quest games, where you have uh, above-average combat skills, you can equip most any armor, and then to top it off, you have not only healing magic but you also have some offense magic. You're the hero, like you're better than everyone else. You have some wizard stuff, you have some cleric stuff, you have oh, some yeah. fighter stuff. I mean, heroes in Dragon Quest are like the epitome of like a just a, a broken class, quote unquote.
2: And so as you as you gain the experience, you level up. You learn new spells. Mm-hmm. Um, if you die during battle, uh, you're sent back to the kingdom, yep. and you lose half of your gold. Yeah, and that became another
1: Dragon Quest staple. And like, and eventually, in other Dragon Quest games, there are banks you can put your money in, so that if you do die, you don't lose your money and stuff. But in this game, I don't think that's an option. No, I think in the maybe in the Game Boy Color remake. That is an option. Like, they added banks. I don't remember Okay, for I never sure. played that one. That's actually the one I did beat. Okay. Uh, the original Nintendo version is a little on the slower side and a little on the clunkier side, which we'll we'll chat about here, because, you know, okay. I love Dragon Quest, <laughs> but it does have some issues, and I've chatted about them, I think, on a Patreon special before. I think that's what that was. Yeah, I think
2: it? me and you went back and forth about, yeah. about it. Uh-huh. Uh Did you know that the first four letters of your name affect how your attributes grow?
1: Oh, you know, I have heard that because I heard that there are like perfect names and stuff like that you can put in. I always uh, uh, my middle name is William, hence where the W in the WK comes from. And so I uh, honestly in old video games, because you only had like four letters to work with usually and Craig wouldn't fit. I usually went with Will. Oh, really? That is usually the name I went with when I was uh, younger, like uh, like Pokemon, mm-hmm. uh, Harvest Moon, Dragon Quest. I usually use Will as the uh, the name.
2: I'm fortunate enough to be Tony,
1: it, so it's yeah, perfect you, for you, me. You can get away with that. Yeah. If I want my name, first name to be it, it has to be spelled dumb. It has to be Craig, <laughs> K-R-E-G, Craig. And then at, at that point, you know nobody is taking he, the hero Craig seriously. Like, oh, hero Craig, are you staying in our inn? Wonderful. Let me put down your name. Why do you spell that? K-R-E-G. Oh. Oh, my. I, I don't believe we have any openings. It's a real shame. You'll have to go be a hero, quote unquote, somewhere else. Craig. Hero Craig.
2: Look at this fool with this odd spelling of a name. Okay, instead of a C, oh my. It's blasphemy.
1: (laughs) What a dummy. Uh, Yeah, so I I had to go with uh, uh, the first four letters of my middle name. Uh, But let's let's chat a little bit about some of my beefs with the game. Okay. So I love Dragon Quest. All right. I mean, who doesn't? It's, it's, well, actually, according to sales <laughs> statistics, a fair amount of Americans <laughs> do not love Dragon Quest. You can't tell from the first game, but moving forward, you They're can. They're fools, Craig. Fools. I mean, I ain't saying they ain't. I love Dragon Quest. So I. <sighs> So, so we'll just get to it, Craig. We, okay, we now, know now. There's a few things. There's a few things. So, the Game Boy Color remake actually made it so you get more experience and money from enemies, and I feel that made the game so a lot faster for sure. But it makes it a lot more fun and a lot more like like you get more immediate satisfaction. Uh, 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 satisfaction or
2: what's the word I'm looking for? Less grinding.
1: Yeah, basically. Uh it's more satisfying to you know uh uh you know be able to get those level ups quicker, you know. Uh, and it's you know designed for a handheld market in mind, so that's kind of why they went for it, but like I I appreciate that greatly because when I went back to Dragon Quest 1 on the Nintendo, it was like, "Oh wow, why am I not level 2 yet? Like these slimes are
2: taking a million years to kill." It is funny cuz it is and as Yuji uh, Horias has mentioned, he wanted something about the story. Mm-hmm. He wanted this to be important because it really shows the story. And actually, I have a quote here from – oh, jeez. Come on. Where is it? Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll find it. But yeah. uh, it, it's funny because you are. You get to this town, and they're like, oh, yeah, you have to find this item. It's over in this village. And you go over to to that area, and you just get demolished. You get uh-huh. destroyed because oh, yeah. all these enemies are way more powerful. So it's like – Oh, oh yeah! I can't wait to push this story. Let me walk around this area I've been before for the next three hours, so that I can finally push <laughs> this story.
1: Yeah, it's uh, the the grinding is a bit much in the first Dragon Quest game, and uh, I don't know if it's the quote you're bringing up, but I know Yuji Horii uh, sort of like kind of equates uh, uh, Dragon Quest to. Uh, almost like a uh, like a gambler's high like you know where like you 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 know much like in gambling you you spend money and eventually you know you get that chance and like you get a big like a big jackpot or whatever and that thrill keeps you going. Yuji hori did really like that aspect and so like you know he he knew that if you kept working at it you know th- and, and I think that's another big part of it too actually maybe a little less gambling but like uh, uh, the fact that he wanted a game where like if you just worked hard enough, you would be able to win. Something that sort of encapsulated like the Japanese spirit. Like, just work hard and victory is yours.
2: Yeah. So I found it was Miyamoto who oh. said that the success of Dragon Warrior changed the nature of video game development by making scenario writers far more important. Now, that's really cool. Yeah.
1: I, uh, you know, in Dragon Quest's story is very simple. You know, it's just basically you want to get to this demon lord the draco lord or whatever uh his you know castle to feed him and get the ball of light back and save the princess you know and so a lot of it is just sort of you know you wandering around you get to this town okay you you know in order to get to the final castle you need to get through this like you know uh uh you need to be able to make the rainbow bridge in order to make the rainbow bridge you need the staff in order to make the staff you need all these pieces in order to get these pieces you need to go through this dungeon and you know <laughs> and like it's sort of like you know the the old RPG gag of like, oh, I want to go to the bathroom. Well, you can't go to the bathroom. Well, why not? I need the key or you need the key. Well, where do I find the key? Well, it's being held by the dragon. Well, how do I defeat the dragon? You need the dragon's leg sword. How do I defeat the dragon? You know, How to get the <laughs> dragon's leg sword? Well, the dragon's leg sword's in the castle. Well, how do I get to the castle? Well, you need the key. Well, why don't I, you know, why, what's with these keys? You know, and so it just is this like long chain of like, go here, do this. Yeah. You know, and, like, you know, and eventually Dragon Quest games will, you know, have a lot more story. Like, we've talked in Dragon Quest 7 and 8 about how there's a lot more story and there's a lot more to that, you know. But for, you know, the mid-80s, mm-hmm. mid to late 80s, and, you know, for the Nintendo Entertainment System, I feel like Dragon Quest is totally fine when it comes to story. Yeah. But, you know, what isn't so, fine. So, I
2: mean, yeah, so you're saying the grinding, yeah, I get it. Yeah, so sure. Yeah, you take out the grinding, it's a perfect game then, right, Craig? Stairs and door. What about the
1: stairs and doors? So you open the menu and, it, like, let's say you get to a staircase and you walk into the staircase and you nothing happens. And you're like, why isn't anything happening? You open the menu and you think, well, I got to figure this out. Stairs. Stairs is a menu option. When you walk into stairs, it does not automatically make you go up or down said stairs. You have to go to the stairs, open the menu, click the stairs option, and then, and then you go through.
2: I mean, that's how I interact with stairs in real life. I get to the bottom of a step of stairs and I'm like, "Oh, what do I got to do here? Oh, yes, stairs. These are stairs." <laughs> yep. I the, like. I, it is, and I. It I is just, very tedious. I just recently did a playthrough of this game, and I do forget because I, 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 I'm trying to kind of go through the originals oh, right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh When I went to uh, Dragon Quest Two, I was like. I can't believe how much more satisfying it is to, to just walk up to a set of stairs and go through them. Right, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, mm-hmm. So, what was your so was your first experience then with the with the Game Boy Color? So that's when you first played it. My first experience with Dragon Quest is Dragon Quest Seven.
1: That is the first Dragon Quest game I played. I never played one. I didn't know two, three, and four really existed outside of like the occasionally seeing them in Nintendo Power. I didn't play RPGs when I was a kid. I didn't start getting into RPGs until like middle school. And at that time, I had the Super Nintendo. And so I was playing Chrono Trigger, Earthbound, Mario RPG. I was getting into all those. And so by the time, like, you know, the PlayStation was out and I, you know, finally got one. Uh, I was starting to like, I was like, oh, I need more RPGs. And Dragon Warrior 7 was at Media Play. And I bought it on a whim because I think originally I went there and I was like, I was like, oh, you know, I was like, you know, what Final Fantasy games do they have? And I was like, ah, they don't have what I'm looking for. And I was like, Dragon Warrior 7. I was like, you know, let let me look at that. So I looked at the back of the box and it was like, you know, blah, 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 you know, an adventure to like unseal the world and stuff. And I was like, it sounds okay. And I fell in love with Dragon Quest from there on. So I didn't uh, play Dragon Quest 1 until the Game Boy Color remake when I borrowed it from a friend, if I'm not mistaken. In fact, it okay. might have been the Arcade Phantom uh, from Noiseland Arcade who does the Simpsons podcast with me. Uh, I feel like he loaned that to me. And and it's a quick playthrough on the Game Boy Color, which is, is very satisfying. You know, you go through it real quick. It feels good. It's fast. You know, it's uh, fast. Uh, you know, it's 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 great, you know, and so I definitely recommend Dragon Quest to to you know our listeners and stuff. I just know that maybe it's a little on the dated <laughs> side for some people, so maybe the Dragon you know, uh, Dragon Quest like remake is is a little bit of a better option.
2: Yeah. So I had, I have two older brothers, which I've yeah. mentioned before. My oldest one, Joe, who it was primarily his NES, and this was one of the games that he got when he got his Nintendo. Mm-hmm. So this was the first. RPG I ever played and I remember watching him play it. We really loved the music growing up um, and Watching us go through the adventure and finding out. Oh, we got to go through the swamp area mm-hmm. to go in the cave I remember us originally thinking oh look at that cave. It's covered in swamp uh-huh. Well, we can't go there. That, that's that's gonna take us forever So I remember us grinding to like level 19 or something oh, before oh, Before we ever made it across like oh, yeah, this this is uh, actually okay. It, it's not that bad Um and I I fell in love with the series from there. I think yeah. we had one and two on the NES, and then that was it. I re- I got three and four when I was much older. I want to say even after I played seven. Oh. So that yeah, that was kind of out of order for me. But th- this was yeah the first RPG I ever played. Really? Yeah. Wow. I. Yeah. I. I.
1: I. I, I never uh, never really like I I might have rented one of the uh Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior uh games when I was younger. But I don't remember. I don't I don't even know if I did or not. I but I, I as far as that goes. Yeah, uh, so mm-hmm.
2: um so the story goes as you're is your is your travel the world, you come across erdrick's tablet which you find in one of the caves. And there he says in order to reach the Isle of Dragons you need to find these three items. It's three items I've entrusted uh, with three keepers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find those items, and there you can you can you know fight the dragon lord and save the world. You're then told that in order to get to the isle, you need uh, a bridge formed by rainbows, mm-hmm. and that's how you get to the castle. Uh, so you, you you know you're going around this world. You, you find some people. They talk about a staff. They talk about a set of stones. Um, eventually you come across uh Silver Harp and you you find one of the, the people that are entrusted with these items and he gives you the stones of sunlight. And you're set you're told that when the sun meets the rain, yeah, that's when the rainbow will form. Right, right. Yeah. So then you know, you go across the, you know, different planes and then you find the staff of rain. So you're like, oh sweet, I got this staff of rain. Mm-hmm. I got these stones of sunlight what do I got to do with them? So it's a little confusing because you don't, don't really know. Well, you're yeah. like, oh, well, there's this third guy. This third guy must know. So you travel to the southeast part of the map, and you enter this room, and it, it's just like the other two, or the guy who gave you the Staff of Rain, the guy who gave you the Stones of Sunlight. It looks just like it's like, this must be what I need. So you go in there, and you're like, all right, I got, this, I got the Stones of Sunlight, I got the Staff of Rain. He's like, are you a descendant of Erdrich? Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, of course, but there's no menu. You're like, you must not be. Go away. And then so you exit the cave. And you're like, well, what, what was that all about? Uh-huh. So you find out that after you save the princess, she gives you this location of where there's this uh, – it's, it's, like a, a it's a it's like a – not a tablet. It's It's like an icon. Mm-hmm. I can't think of what the name of it is. I don't remember what the item is so you called. Need but I know, you I know need that this there item to item show hidden. that you are a descendant of Eredric. So you go back in there. He's like, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, well, here, <laughs> here you go. Here's the raindrop. That's all you need. See ya. And it's just like, oh, you were a jerk before, but yep. now you're super nice. So you, you get the raindrop. You go to the, the part of the island where it's broken up. You create the bridge and you enter into the castle where the dragon lord is. Yeah, yeah. And there's two sets of stairs. Which I love. I don't know why I love this part of the game so much. It's just so cool. Um, And when I made, uh, I have an RPG maker. And when Uh I was doing it, I actually added this into the game because I just thought it was so cool. So there's this two set of stairs. Mm -hmm. You go to the one on the left. You travel around. You find there's nothing. It's a dead end. Okay. So you go to the one on the right. Go through the castle. Dead end as well. Well, that's odd. So right in the middle is uh, a throne. And there's no one in the throne. Mm Mm-hmm. It's you're assuming this is where the Dragon Lord was. So you go up to the throne and there's a search menu. So you press search and it says there's a breeze coming behind the throne. <laughs> yep. So you go around the throne, hit search and a stairs appears. And that's how you get into the dungeon of the Dragon Lord. I,
1: I, I really do appreciate the fact that like it, they're not going to hand it to you. Like they're not going to just be like, oh, yeah, just go through this and you're good. Like they, they absolutely want you to work for it. Uh, I also really appreciate that when you get to the dragon lord, the final boss, he le- he tells you,
2: hey, oh, yeah? Yeah, so you want to do a little bit of role play right here? Sure, sure. All right. So, uh, so you, ent- you, you meet the dragon lord, uh-huh. and the first thing he says is, I give thee now a chance to share this world and to rule half of it if thou will now stand beside me. What sayest thou? Will the great warrior stand beside me?
1: Half? Never. It's all mine.
2: (laughs) No. (laughs) But if you say... But if you say yes... He says, really? (laughs) (laughs) And then you get the option to say yes or no. And if you say yes, he says, Then half of the world is thy, half of the darkness, and thou dies. I can bring thee back for another attempt without loss of thy deeds to date. That journey is over. Now take a long, long rest. So you die, Uh the game freezes, and you have to reset. Yep. You want to know something interesting?
1: What's that? This is referenced in another Dragon Quest game.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Dragon Quest Builders. You know what? I think I read a little bit about it. So what did you find out? Yeah, so Dragon Quest
1: Builders is essentially what if... Your hero from that time said yes, and the world fell into ruin. You play uh, in the the world of uh, Dragon Quest Builders is Dragon Quest 1's map.
2: Yeah, and it's 100 years after. Uh huh.
1: And yeah, yeah, I did see that. Yep. So that's if you had said yes, <laughs> that's what would have happened. The world falls into ruin that's and they awesome. eventually have to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's even another reference to uh, uh, the Dragon Lord in another Dragon Quest game. So you eventually find out that, you know, as you go through the first three games of uh, Dragon Quest 1, 2, and, you know, 1, 2, and 3, there, uh, you uh, uh, find out that, like, you. Uh, 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 what is it? I, I think if it's in Dragon Quest 2, you can find the descendant of the Dragon Lord and he's like living in that castle cuz you eventually can go back to that land. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh so there are other like uh Dragon Quest 1 is referenced through a few other uh, Dragon Quest games. I
2: mean it, so it is a and I didn't we didn't mention this, but it is a trilogy. The first 3 mm-hmm are a Set of trilogies, and this one is the second in the series. Yep,
1: this one is known as the Erdrick or Lodo because yep. in Japan Erdrick is known as Lodo, uh, the Lodo trilogy. Uh, and then I think the next three games, so four, five, and six, are the Xeninthian trilogy because yes. it involves like this like fabled kingdom of Xeninthia or whatever. And then I uh, supposedly, I uh, Let's see. So four, five, six. Uh, so seven, eight, nine supposedly have a bit of a link, but I've yet to really find out how or why, you know, uh, so that might not necessarily be the case. But, yeah, the first uh, six games are two sets of trilogies. Technically, you know, they're they're not especially linked. You you can play them completely all out of order and you don't really miss much. Uh, but, yeah, uh, as far as that goes, uh, uh, Glitch, uh before we get into the music, uh, what else was there uh, that we uh, should talk about? With
2: well, everyone? I did want to mention, so so after you defeat the Dragon Lord, you, you go back to the town, and the king offers you his kingdom. He says, you can take my throne and, and take over this world. Uh, and, and you decline. You don't really get the chance to do the option. The game uh-huh. does it for you. But you decline, and the princess comes and says, I want to travel with thee so we can start a new life. And that's how the game ends. Uh, if you saved the princess... So did you know that you don't actually have to save the princess? What really?
1: I never really knew you you
2: couldn't. What so, happens
1: if you don't save the princess? So the princess
2: aids you in finding that little token. It's a token. I don't know why I couldn't think of the word. Or oh yeah, word yeah, yeah, yeah. So erdrick's token is you, you find it in a swamp area, and uh, the princess is the one who kind of helps you coordinate where to go to find it.
1: Yeah, she gives you like the the uh, uh, calculator, the, yeah, the coordinates. coordinates, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so.
2: Honestly, that's all you need her for. So, if you've played the game before and you already know where to grab the token, you can just not save her. I
1: always assumed the
2: game wouldn't let you get it
1: unless you saved her. No,
2: so, it, it's there. It's there for the grabbing. So, what happens for the at take-ins. the end of the game? So, at the end of the game, you just, it's the same thing. Uh, it's just she doesn't come and say, I want to continue on the journey with what you. What a lonely journey. <laughs> What a lonely, lonely... I mean, like, Dragon Quest
1: itself is a very lonely game. Unlike all the other Dragon Quest games and most RPGs, you're alone. Yeah. Like, it really, really gives you this very isolated, kind of, like, melancholy feeling as you play through the game.
2: Yeah, because we're in the second one. You have two companions that mm-hmm. travel with you. Your and, cousins or whatever. Yeah. And they they can revive characters who die. Whereas in this one, when you die, that's yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah, yeah, you dead. Um, so I did want to talk about a glitch. There is a money oh, yeah. glitch, infinite money glitch, uh, gold, which is the currency in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, in the game, you can only have an array of eight open chests. So if you have, uh, you need one key to do this, and you go to the Rock Mountain Cave, mm-hmm. and you open at least two chests in the cave, and then you die. It sends you back to the kingdom. And in the start of the game, there's three chests in the room that you open and you gather the items. Well, those three items still hold in the array when you're in that room. Yeah. So right now you're currently taking up five spots because you open up two in the Rock Mountain Cave and the three that were opened previously. Downstairs is a room that has five chests. So you go into that room, open the door, and as you open the, the second chest, it doesn't disappear. Oh. So you can just keep, because it's already hit that eight array of of spots with open chests. So it can't remove the chest because it's technically, you know, it's a closed chest. It can't open it because it can't open anymore. So it just stays closed, but you still get the item. So you just keep opening and opening and opening and opening and opening the item and collecting all the gold. Granted, it's usually like a very small amount of gold that's in there. It's like eight to no, 15 gold, which. When you're at a certain point of the game, it's literally nothing. Like there's right, enemies right. who drop a hundred to 150 gold when you get further, you know, later in the game. So it kind of helps you, like, kind of start to build a good inventory of equipment. But other than that, it's kind of useless. Funny. Yep. Um, and then I wanted to talk about the speed running. Oh uh, yeah,
1: absolutely. What uh, what kind of speed runs do we have for this?
2: So the speed running is actually very interesting. There is uh, a gentleman who figured out. Uh, a way to manipulate all the RNG in the game.
1: I've seen like I'm not I'm not a, a speedrunning expert like you are of course. I I know that you know a ton about this stuff, but mm. I have seen that video cuz you showed it to me and it is kind of ridiculous.
2: Oh, so I will say as someone who's watched a lot of speedruns, I mean I wouldn't consider myself the expert on speedrunning, but I consider myself very fancy with with the whole sure, very knowledgeable idea. So uh, I've watched so many speed runs in my lifetime, and I will say the run of uh, – so it's a gentleman named R- uh, N.E.S. Cardinality. Mm-hmm. Uh, him explaining the run and going through it is probably top five of the runs I've ever seen. Wow. It's so fascinating on how they figured this out. It really and is. And how they do it. They essentially uh, – so he beats the game um, in 24 minutes and 41 seconds, which is the current world record. But it's actually not hold, held by him right now. Um, he had twenty four forty nine when he beat it. Um, It's a gentleman named uh, Ui Jawa. Jawa, I'm sorry, Ui Jawa. Um, And he does it in level 7. Like, he's only a level 7 when he beats the game. Good God. Yep. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about uh, NES Cardinality because he is a very famous Mm speedrunner. He has 40... First place NES games. Wow. All of which include Dragon Warrior 1, Dragon Warrior 2, Dragon Warrior 3, Dragon Warrior 4, Shadowgate, Back to the Future, Blades of Steel, Dig Dug 2, Tecmo Bowl, Battle Chest, and Rampage, just to name a few.
1: Battle Chest.
2: Wow. So, I mean, it's not these, like, no-name games. Like, he has really intricate first yeah. place runs with these games. Um. There is one more category I wanted to mention, mm-hmm. and it's the no equipment category. Oh, good Lord. So that means you never grab any weapons, any armor, any shields. You just start the game, fight enemies, level up, and go and fight the game based on spells uh-huh. and your nothing, your fists. Okay. You want to give a guess on how long that takes. Oh,
1: God. Uh, the the record that, that uh, they've got is like 40 minutes like for speedrunning, just the game as is.
2: So, just the game as is, uh, which NES Cardinality has, you beat the level at level 18, he has that in 5 hours, 15 minutes, and 7 seconds. Oh, five hours? Yeah. That's Uh, no RNG manipulation.
1: Oh, with no RNG
2: manipulation. Okay, I was going to say, I was like, I thought it was way lower than that, okay. Yeah, the 24 minutes is the RNG manipulation, which I I should explain real quick, sorry. Uh, Essentially what happens is, if you start movement after the start of the game on the first frame, they have figured out what happens with every step you take. So essentially if you go onto the world map, they figured out when we go 20 steps north and one step east, that's when we encounter an enemy. So they go the 20 steps, one step east, and they stop for, you know, a few frames and then the enemy's gone and then they continue walking. So you can travel the entire world map without running into a single enemy. It's ridiculous. And then they run into the metal slime, which is the enemy who gives the most experience points.
1: Yeah, that's a, a gimmick throughout the Dragon Quest series is, like, they're very hard to hit. They have yep. super high defense, but if you get a critical hit on them, it will pierce through defense, and you can kill them and get a Yeah, because
2: they of only have four hit points, but every time you attack, it only takes away, like, one hit point.
1: And they're going to run away. There's, like, a 50% chance oh, yeah. they run, like, every turn. And
2: uh, you miss all the time. Oh, yeah. But they also figured out a way in battle to make it so you always get critical hits or you always hit the enemy. Good God! I know it's it's ridiculous, but so no equipment.
1: So no equipment without RNG. uh, I'm gonna say probably
2: like twelve hours, fifteen hours, twenty three minutes, thirty seven seconds. Wow! I really lowballed that one. But I guess without equipment, it becomes infinitely harder. And well, you also have to level grind to level twenty eight in order to beat the game. In order to beat the game. In order to have enough power to make it through the dragon lord battle. Wow! Because you're not really doing much damage to him, and also you have no armor to defend yourself. Yeah, so take—he's taking off like 70 hit points every every hit.
3: Oh, 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 oh
1: man! Yikes! I, uh, yeah, that is ridiculous. I kudos to them for being able to like you know manipulate the have the no game life. That well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs>
3: uh,
1: I wasn't gonna say it, but I. Uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and uh, tell you what glitch. Let's uh Pause for a moment, hear a word from our sponsors, and then we'll chat about the music.
0: Hey, it's me, everybody, Tim Kittrow. I'm here to talk to you about Old School Gamer. Old School Gamer is the magazine for gamers. It covers arcade and retro gaming. gives you gaming history and in-depth interviews with people like me who are there. And it lets you know what conventions are happening and when. Issues come out once every other month. Plus, a website full of even more razzle-dazzle. And it's all for just 30 bucks a year. So visit OldSchoolGamer.com and subscribe now.
1: Alright, Glitch. So, we are talking about Dragon Quest. And that means we're talking about Koichi Sugiyama. Yes, we are. Because there's really no Dragon Quest game that does not have Koichi Sugiyama. He
2: is still, still doing work. Oh, yeah. For the Dragon Quest games, do you know how old he is? How old is he? He's 88 years old. Ooh. I mean, and so if you look at his work, he really hasn't done much. He did a lot of film stuff in the 70s.
1: Oh, yeah. I actually uh, uh, have a, a few things here. So okay. he uh, uh, he did. So before Dragon Quest, Sugiyama worked in some movies and television. Uh, he composed for the Gachamon movie. Now, Gachaman might not sound familiar, but maybe it does in America as G Force. Or, uh, what else was it called? Uh, Battle of the Planets. It had two names in America. Uh, It was a cartoon, it was an anime that got brought over to uh, America. Uh, So the movie version of that he did the soundtrack for. He did the music for the series Cyborg 009, which is uh, pretty big in Japan. Maybe not quite as big here in America or anything. Uh, And he did the soundtrack to uh, Godzilla versus Hidora. Uh, So he did the Godzilla movie. Uh, now, what's interesting is uh, uh, Koichi Sugiyama. Uh, do you know how he started working for uh, e- uh, Enix? And, no, I didn't. And, You know uh, the Dragon Quest series. Was it was it some type of uh, contest? You're not far off. Oh, it was not a comic uh, a contest through Shonen Jump. Unfortunately, it, he filled out a questionnaire from a shogi game that Enix put out. Shogi being like the Japanese version of chess, and uh, after some correspondence. Uh, because, like, they, they got this, like, questionnaire filled out, and they were like, wait, this guy's saying he's Koichi Sugiyama, like, the composer? And they were like, no, 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 no. there's no way. And so they sent him, like, a letter back, and they are like, you know, thank you for your, like, letter. Are you really Koichi Sugiyama? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I really am. And uh, so they they were in communication with him, and they brought him in to do Dragon Quest. Uh, and the, I mean, like, it was what they needed. Nobuo Matsu himself uh, has commented. I don't have the exact quote, but... But basically, like, when uh, they started doing Final Fantasy, they were like, okay, you know, Uematsu, like, you know, can you can you do something kind of like Dragon Quest? Like, that's what we're going for here. And he was like, well, uh, I'm not going to be as good as Koichi Sugiyama, but I'll see what I can do. Like, he himself has said that he is not as good yeah. uh, as Koichi Sugiyama. And that might be him being a bit humble, because I really like Final Fantasy music. But, like, for this, like, Koichi Sugiyama is, like, Perfect for this genre. Yeah.
2: Perfect. Oh, I love the music in this game. And uh, I also noticed that he did the music for uh, E.V.O., Search yeah. of Eden. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah it, which is
1: another Enix game, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so Dragon Quest and E.V.O., and uh, there's probably some other Enix games in there that he might have had a hand in. But, Honestly, uh, I
2: don't think I saw any other ones. Maybe there isn't.
1: I don't think there was. Man, I, but I... I mean, Koji
2: Yama is a madman, but like he is such a genius. I mean, to still go hard at, at helping compose the music for the series at the age of eighty-eight. I mean, that's that's amazing.
1: It, it really is. I uh, so I tell you what, let's go ahead and uh, first off listen to uh, the the title theme, the overture of Dragon Quest. And we anytime we talk about Dragon Quest, we always play the overture. But we gotta hear it in its original NES glory. Let's go ahead and give it a listen.
2: Fitting. It just so fits Dragon Quest. I, I just love that they've they've continued this theme of having this intro throughout all the games, even the Dragon Quest builders. Oh yeah. Yeah. So even, uh, even the side games still have this theme. Yeah. Uh the Dragon Quest Monsters games have it. Yep. Uh Dragon Quest Swords,
1: Dragon Quest everything has the overture. Uh and and it's always great. Like it's a, a wonderful tune. I uh, What's next? So we we have, I mean, there's a ton of uh, songs to play through. So let's go ahead and just jump right into uh, the throne room. This is the when uh, uh, the hero converses with the king and, you know, saves the game and things like that.
2: Yeah, and this theme is slightly different than the castle theme. Uh, You'll notice at the beginning of the song, there's a section that plays over and over when you're in the castle. But when you're in the throne room, it has a second part to it. Yeah, so let's give it a listen. (laughs) really dig that uh uh tune oh it's so great uh and and it, that all these songs just bring you like, so many memories of me watching my older brother play this huh. game yeah
1: that's great so let's go ahead and listen to uh perhaps the 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 song that really encapsulates just how lonely dragon quest is the overworld music is very very sad almost yeah a little bit it, it's very i don't know like when i hear this tune i feel isolated and it might not necessarily be the music's fault, I think it might just be playing Dragon Quest and being this one lone warrior walking around doing everything by yourself.
2: I mean, also the fact that the track's technically only, like, 12 seconds long and just repeats over and over (laughs) might have a little bit to do with it.
1: You know what? It is repetitive, but it's funny because, like, when I hear this music, I don't think of it as repetitive. Like, I I feel like they did a good job where, you know, like, the tune is is nice, even though it does repeat over, you know,
2: over and over again. Well, again, so I didn't know... I kind of the same thing. When I was a kid, I just thought this was a longer track, mm-hmm. and you don't realize how short it is. It's just kind of I don't know. They do a good job of transitioning, transitioning the last part and the beginning yeah. together.
1: Oh yeah, there, you don't really catch that like clipper, like the the clipping or anything like that. So let's give it a, a listen. have to think too there are battle themes that are gonna splice into that of course and, and mix that
2: up. Yeah, unless you're like essentially standing still, you're not really gonna hear it for that long. Yeah, you're gonna exactly. run into someone. So a little bit uh to, to go into my personal life here with this uh-huh. with this song, yeah. Um Joe, who I mentioned a few times already, uh he played the accordion growing up. Oh really? Um, I come from an Italian family, so my grandmother played the accordion very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother Joe actually plays it extremely well. Extremely well, Really? Uh, he got hired for weddings before. Oh, wow. Uh, he's been paid to, to play uh, very well, very talented. This was a song that he used to play around the house when he was practicing. Uh, really? So whenever I hear this song, I hear it in an accordion to- tone.
1: I must have a recording of and that.
2: And it's amazing. It's so good He because he can play by ear. If
1: I don't get a recording of that at some point, (laughs) I am going to hate you forever.
2: I will do my best to get a recording of that. Please do. All right. Uh, So I tell you what, uh, let's listen
1: to just a couple more themes here. So the the song that kind of punctuates and breaks up the overworld is the battle theme. Now, this version, I included the intro because it's just not the same without it. Let's do it.
2: And again, this is another one. It's kind of short, but I mean, unless you're just standing there doing nothing.
1: Yeah, it, the battles are fairly quick because it's only one v one. Yeah. I. Yep. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and listen to the ending theme as well. Okay. I. Uh, so you know, I, I. The only ending I've ever known is the one with the princess. So it's a happy ending to me. <laughs> but I, it's kind of it's a little uh, disheartening to know that there's a sad ending to this game. I mean, on top of the bad. ending. It depends on the way
2: you look at it. I mean.
1: I mean I think that's I mean, a maybe, little sad.
2: Maybe you want to be a bachelor. You want to travel by yourself. You don't want you don't want a female holding you down, holding you back.
1: I mean, I guess I can appreciate the bachelor life. <laughs> I live it every day. Uh let's listen to the ending. Other themes were a little on the simple side, you know, compared to a lot of Koichi Sugiyama's later work. Uh but I feel like this song is a lot more complex than a lot of the other songs.
2: Yeah, and it it's very happy. So I mean it it, it really kind of gives you that pleasure of finishing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoy this track a lot. That's this is a really good one. So I tell you what, Glitch, what are yeah. our final
1: thoughts for Dragon
2: Quest? So I had said it before. This is basically the template for JRPGs. Oh yeah. I mean, there, there, it was the first. I mean, Ultima. Ultima, I think, kind of, kind of made it grow, and you know, a lot of stuff was pulled from it. But as far as bringing it to the console and having it build from that Final Fantasy, I mean, essentially, it's a copy. Oh yeah. Of Dragon Quest with a different storyline. So I think without this, you don't really see the progression as much. It wouldn't be as fast. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a family. You have Dragon Quest. Whose parents are
1: Ultima and Wizardry, you know, mommy and daddy, yeah. and mommy and daddy had a overbearing uh, uh, father, the grandfather. Well, maybe not together. That would be maybe a little weird. So one of them had whichever one was first had a father, and that was Dungeons and Dragons, which just seeps into everything RPG.
2: Uh, and the child was Final Fantasy. The grandchild was fine. Yeah,
1: like basically, yeah. Actually, I don't even know. I think it was like the adopted child. <laughs> Final Fantasy was like adopted in and like copied Dragon Quest was like, Look what I could do. I'm just the same but better And Dragon Quest was like, Not in our home country, you ain't and America was like, Yeah, yeah, come on over, Final <laughs> Fantasy, hang out with me. Uh and that's kinda how it went down. Yeah. That's the family tree basically. It's uh it's a little weird, but you know, I mean I don't judge. I mean, no one's family tree is perfect. That is so true. (laughs) That is so true. I uh, tell you what, though, Glitch, let's go ahead and uh, jump right on into our Retro Relapse. Jones in for a classic game. It's time for Retro Relapse on the Legend of Retro Podcast. Retro
3: Relapse.
2: So as I've said before, I kind of like to save the good games for when I'm on the show. (laughs) So... You could, you know, say.
1: Uh, so uh, today, uh, for Retro Relapse, we're talking about Double Dungeons for the Turbo 16, which is such a fun little system. It is a really neat system. Yeah, actually, I love talking it, about it. It seemed
2: really. Ad- I, it's kind of like Neo Geo. Neo Geo was pretty advanced for when it came mm-hmm. out on the home console. And Turbo is another one of those. It's like that. It's like that forgotten stepson that, you know, still accomplishes great things. But you're like, yeah, but NES is right here.
1: And it's funny because, like, it was essentially a, a well, a pseudo 16-bit system that was tr- competing with the uh, Nintendo and the Master System. Yeah. And it, it was a little on the pricey side and didn't have the third-party support. But specifically today, we're talking about Double Dungeons. Yeah. Which was a uh, a role-playing, like, dungeon crawler. Uh, it was released in, like, 1990 in uh,
2: America, I believe. I... Uh, So it's a first-person game, you're traveling through the dungeon, Mm -hmm. and you're fighting off enemies, just like in the classic style.
1: Yeah, so like uh, much like uh, uh, we had mentioned earlier, uh, this is a very, very classic style, uh, where, yeah, you get that first-person view as you're going through the dungeon, and uh, honestly, like, I mean... It it was a little uh, uh, confusing, like, you know, walking through the dungeons and trying to figure things out, uh, you know, because like we would die and then we get sent somewhere like at the start or whatever. And then it'd be like, oh, okay, like, where do we go? Like, I don't remember where I was. I was just wandering around, you know. So, like, if you're not like being careful, I feel like this game is just really frustrating. But so long as you know how to go through a dungeon crawler, like a first person dungeon crawler, especially, I feel like you're probably going to have a pretty good time with this game.
2: Yeah, I think even you say during the playthrough Something about putting your hand on the wall, something like oh, to go yeah. through the entire.
1: So, like if so long as there are no like ladders in the middle of the dungeon or something like that, what you can do when you go through a dungeon is like you hold out your right or left hand and you walk and you just follow it along and you'll eventually explore the entire dungeon you're not going to miss a room because you're going to go through every nook and cranny because you're always holding that one hand against one wall and you're always walking until you get back to that very beginning.
2: Which, until you said that, I never it never occurred to me that that's... That's true. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And the only thing that
1: throws that off is like, you know, maybe like staircases in the middle of a room or, uh, uh you know, ladders or something like, you know, unless it, so long as you know where those types of things are, you can explore the entire dungeon. And then from there, you can be like, OK, now we have to head back to this one spot where there is a staircase yeah. or something, you know. So so, I mean, it's it's not <laughs> difficult so long as you know what you're doing. But, you know, in our case, we just sort of it was retro relapse. So we wandered around. Yeah. We like kept fighting monsters that one snake kept killing oh us.
2: God, we kept dying to this one enemy. It was a snake. It was yeah. just
1: one stupid snake. And it was like, we can take a snake. And the snake's like, you you don't want any of this. <laughs> and then every time it was just like, and like bites us and we're dead and poisoned and start over.
2: But the graphics look great. I thought it oh, was yeah. very visually, uh, you know, looked solid. satisfying. Uh, so. the music i don't think was too bad or anything actually i remember the music being really good yeah yeah
1: i uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering the music so I, i'll have to go back and listen to some of the soundtrack or something uh so yeah if i i, I actually have a uh, uh, pretty positive things to say about double dungeons i feel like if you are into that style of game and you have access to a turbografx 16 or are going to get the mini turbografx 16 that comes out in you know i don't know from konami later this year or next year because uh, I think that's gonna be on there
2: is it? I So I haven't looked at the list yet.
1: I There's not many games on the
2: list. I mean, I'm sure you can hack
1: it. Uh, that's what I'll be doing. Uh, but yeah, you know, so hopefully it uh, it will show up on there uh, if it isn't already announced for it. Uh, otherwise, uh, I know it came out on the Wii Virtual Console and the Wii U's Virtual Console oh, as well. Okay. So, you know, there are options. Uh, you know, well, maybe not the Wii Virtual Console <laughs> anymore, but the Wii U Virtual Console oh, is uh, rest
2: peace, Wii Virtual R.I.P.
1: Console. God, I love that so music. Sad.
2: So sad. Shop channel music was
1: amazing. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I uh, uh, on the 8-bit scale, I think I'm gonna give this a uh uh I think a, a six out of eight. It 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 wasn't perfect by any means, you know, that dang snake every time. Yeah. Uh but all in all, I, I was I would say it's above average.
2: I'm right there with you. I, I think six out of eight is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um I enjoyed the music, I thought it looked really great. Um I, I I mean we didn't get too far into the game. Yeah. That's one of the problems with retro relapse is you know, sometimes if you always feel like our, our rating is so low, it's just that we didn't get too far. I mean, with a lot of the games, we mm-hmm. barely get past the first level most of the time. Yeah, I mean we we only have so much
1: time to play these games and stuff. That's sort of the gimmick of retro relapse. Yeah. It's just sort of first impressions. Uh but yeah, all in all, I, I would say that if if you're into dungeon crawlers, absolutely worth a look. Absolutely. Uh now uh as far as that goes, let's go ahead and jump on into our music
2: brackets. Yeah, so this is the third matchup. Um I, so just even looking at these lists. It's like how uh how are we going to decide? There are some great themes. And we and we did a draft style too. So it's like ones are going up against eights, you know, fours are going up against fives, but even like the the first matchup was uh 0 versus Celeste, which is insane cuz I, I I didn't even realize uh, it's great. It's both are How great. How hard that was going to be. I was yeah. I, I was torn.
1: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I totally uh uh can totally see that. So what we got this week? Uh so first up, we have uh the theme of uh, Shade Man from Mega Man: The Power Fighters. Now we weren't going to allow like stage music into this, but uh, I, there was a loophole. There was a little bit of a loophole, so make sure to check out that Patreon special. So if you go to uh, Patreon.com/slash/GamezillaMedia, make sure to check out our Game Shark episode for the month of June. June yep. And uh, uh, you're going to be able to uh, 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 see who chose what and things. We're, we're <laughs> going to keep that stuff secret on the show, but if you want to know the details, make sure to check out that Patreon special. We had a ruling that we had to make on that, and it was a little bit of a loophole. But you know what? The the person, you know, kudos to them. Uh, so, uh, Mega Man the Power Fighters, Mega Man Two the Power Fighters, was an arcade game. Uh, the it was composed by Setsuo Yamamoto and Hideki Okugawa. Uh, now they just composed the remixes, though, of course, because you know this was from Mega Man Seven originally. But let's go ahead and give this a
0: listen.
2: Shade Man is probably the hottest track on 7. Shade Man has awesome
1: music. It's actually up against another Capcom hit. So uh, up against the uh, uh, Shade Man from the Power Fighters is the theme of the boxer, Balrog, otherwise known as M. Bison in Japan. Uh, so the uh, And this is for the Super Nintendo version, uh, though the music was originally composed by uh, Yoko Shimomura and uh, Isao Abe. Uh, I mean... This is, I feel like Street Fighter 2's music barely needs any kind of introduction, so let's just go ahead and jump on in.
2: Such a fun theme, honestly. So listen to that track. Mm-hmm. I feel like that song needs lyrics because it has such a great melody. And there's there, there's people on the internet who who do that. They oh, put yeah. lyrics to songs, and this one needs it. I feel like it would be so great.
1: I have something incredible to let you know. Oh, which there is not only a version of his theme from Street Fighter Four, which has lyrics. There is a uh, an album uh, that I think. Xander and I have mentioned in previous episodes, maybe it was like a Patreon special, I don't remember for sure, Uh, but there's an album called Street Fighter Vocal, and it takes songs from Street Fighter and adds in... Like the lyrics, like l- lyrics and stuff, and it's done by a bunch of different artists from Japan. Now, I don't want to sway people's votes here, uh, so you know, keep in mind the Super Nintendo version when you're thinking about where to vote. But when you get a chance, make sure to check out online different remixes that people have done of Balrog's theme or M Bison's theme, Boxer's theme, however you want to refer to it as. Uh, for for the ease of of our use, we typically will call it the Boxer's theme on the the Legend of Retro, uh, just because Balrog. And M. Bison, the names are interchangeable depending on your region, which yeah. is really confusing. <laughs> I really hate that Capcom did that to us. But I, uh,
2: Yeah, well, it, well, we should listen to that after, after this episode.
1: Oh, we absolutely will. Uh, but uh, for everybody who's uh, uh, listening to the show here, when you want to vote, make sure to check out the Legend of Retro uh, page on Facebook. Make sure to check out our uh, account on Twitter. You can get a vote each there. And you also have a vote through our Discord. Uh, If you're a member of our Discord, you get a vote every week. And you get a Bonus vote when you're a member of our Patreon page for as little as one dollar a month, and for five dollars a month you get access to that Game Shark show uh, that we mentioned before. That's over on Patreon.com/slash Gamezilla Media. Make sure to check that out and consider supporting the show. We definitely appreciate it.
2: And then also at that one dollar range, you get early access to our Retro Relapse, which you can find on our YouTube page. Yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff there. There's a Craig had done a lot, lot of long plays, but Craig has moved on to Twitch. And you can find Craig Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to roughly around 11 p.m. He usually. 11 a.m. Oh, I'm sorry. 11 a.m. <laughs> yeah. man, it's not that That long. would be a long, <laughs> long stream. Are you, are you streaming a, a no equipment Dragon Quest at that time? Is that what's happening? <laughs> I, I think that is. Like when it's 11 o'clock <laughs> and I'm just like, I wish I was just but, dead. I wish uh, yeah, I was dead. But yeah, usually around 11 a.m. is when he stops. He, he usually goes a little bit longer, um, but you can find that at. Twitch.tv slash Craig underscore WK. Yeah, indeed.
1: Right. Uh, much appreciated. I've uh, been having a lot of fun. And for anyone who is listening to this right now and they're like, ah, you know, video games, that's great, but is it retro? Yes, it is. I always am making sure I'm playing my uh, retro games and just mix it up with the occasional other game like uh, Super Mario Maker 2 came Oh, yeah, out. you've been
2: playing that a little bit. But it's only the
1: classic stuff I've been, <laughs> you know, making levels for. So it's okay. It still counts as retro. Uh,
2: so, Craig. Yeah. 'Is thou done with the episode? Pretty glitch, yes. We're done with thine episode. <laughs> ah, good morrow then. <laughs> but on that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening. And we'll see you all next time when the legend continues.